Good morning. Today is Sunday, the 17th day of September, 2017. Could you imagine an extremely toxic chemical added to a product that millions of people use every day? And that toxic substance gets pumped into the air for every man, woman, and child to breathe, and this lasts for over 60 years. Today I have a disturbing story of greed over common sense on the 135th episode of Sunday Morning Coffee with Jeff. Coffee with Jeff. Coffee on Coffee with Jeff. Coffee with Jeff. It's Sunday, it's time for coffee, and I am your host and storyteller, Jeff Kelly. Hope everybody's doing well out there. I know that things lately have been pretty bad for a lot of people in the U.S. I hope everything is alright wherever you are. Now, before we get started, I'd like to thank a listener for a very kind email. Thanks, Harriet. She informed me that the Fortean Times did a feature that mentioned my show. I hope it's pronounced Fortean Times. Anyway, I didn't read the actual article because, I, well, I don't handle negative criticism very well. Not that I know it's negative. It might be great, but I don't want to take that chance. I did stumble across a Fortean Times forum site in which somebody was responding to the feature that mentioned my podcast. And apparently, whoever wrote the article mentioned the fact that last week I said Bowie instead of the word buoy. But seriously, you know, anybody who's listened to my show for any length of time knows that I mispronounce words all the time. It's sort of my thing. I try to catch those during the editing process, but sometimes they slip by. I don't know. If anyone out there reads the Fortean Times article, feel free to tell me just the good parts, and only the good parts. Back to Harriet. She says she loves my upbeat style and positive nature. I've never actually thought about my style before, but uh, I'm glad it comes off as positive and upbeat. You know, I love getting emails like Harriet's. It really makes me smile. So if you want to help Jeff smile, feel free to email me at coffeewithjeff at gmail.com. Anyway, it's an unusually warm September weekend here in Chicago, and I've got a story about how profits were put way ahead of common sense and the well-being of, well, everybody in the world. This podcast is part of the SciCon Network. You can support this podcast and others like it by becoming a subscriber at patreon.com forward slash SciCon. That's C-S-I-C-O-N. A link can be found on the Coffee with Jeff website. Just a dollar or two is all it takes to keep these podcasts going. Thank you for your support. But with high-octane ethyl gasoline, there is no knock. The burning gases give the piston a smooth, powerful push. And that's the difference. And that's why ethyl gasoline brings out the full power and performance of your car. So next time you buy gasoline, drive up to the pump with the ethyl emblem and say, fill her up. There's a difference, a powerful difference, between gasoline and ethyl. Gasoline! 
Lead is a highly poisonous substance. According to the Mayo Clinic, in adults, it can cause things like high blood pressure, joint and muscle pain, difficulties with memory or concentration, headaches, abdominal pain, mood disorders, reduced sperm count and abnormal sperm, miscarriages, stillbirth or premature birth in pregnant women, and of course, death. For children, it can cause things like developmental delays, learning difficulties, irritability, loss of appetite, weight loss, sluggishness and fatigue, abdominal pain, vomiting, constipation, hearing loss, and seizures. And for 60 years, it was added to automotive fuel. But before we get started, I think we need to have a quick overview of gasoline engines. Basically, a mixture of gasoline and air gets injected into the pistons of the engine. When the piston comes down, it compresses the gas and air, and as it does, the fuel heats up. At its lowest point, the spark plug ignites, the gas explodes, and the pistons get thrust back up. But due to this high compression, sometimes the fumes can go off at unwanted times. This is what causes an engine to knock or ping, and it also makes the engine less efficient. The amount of compression a fuel can take without igniting is called the octane rating. The higher the octane, the better. When the first high compression gasoline engines were being developed, this knocking or pinging was a huge problem. This was a big deal to the oil industry, as there was still a question of what would be the preferred fuel for the emerging automobile industry. In fact, many thought that cars should run on alcohol. Both Thomas Edison and Alexander Graham Bell believed that alcohol-powered vehicles were the future. And although alcohol ran with less power, it delivered a higher octane and burned a lot cleaner with no carbon emissions. In 1919, Thomas Migley was working for chemist Charles F. Kittering on the gasoline engine knock problem. At the time, there were already some solutions like benzene from coal or alcohol from farm crops that could be added to the gas to raise the octane. Yet even with those solutions, he was still trying other combinations. He tried something like 1,500 different combinations before he came up with an interesting discovery. If one added tetraethyl lead to the fuel, the engine not completely disappeared. This made it possible to produce cheaper grades of fuel that would run great in automobiles. Now, let's stop for a moment and discuss the dangers of lead. There seems to be a common misconception that people in the early 20th century didn't know how dangerous it was. That's simply not true. There was no question that lead was a poison, an odorless, colorless, and tasteless potent neurotoxin. Its deadly effect has been known for over 3,000 years. In ancient Rome, it was known to cause insanity and eventually death. The Romans would try to protect their slaves from the lead dust by giving them crude masks to wear. The type of lead mixed with gas was tetraethyl lead. German chemist Karl Jacob Lowig first discovered tetraethyl lead in 1854. It wasn't used for anything, even back then, because its deadliness was very well known. Simple skin contact with the substance could cause hallucinations, difficult in breathing, 
and in worst cases, madness, spasms, asphyxiation, and death. So you can imagine that when it was first announced that this lead was going to be used in car fuel, several public health experts expressed concern. Experts in lead taxology, such as Alice Hamilton of Harvard University and American physiologist Yendel Henderson of Yale, insisted that allowing the introduction of lead on a widespread basis would be a catastrophic mistake in the public health policy. Charles Claus, a German scientist, wrote to Migley of lead saying, It's a creepy and malicious poison, and warned that it had killed a fellow scientist. With all the known dangers, you might ask, why didn't they use one of the alternatives, like alcohol? The reason is simple. Profit. If they added 10% of alcohol to their gas, that's 10% of their profits from fuel that's going to somebody else. I mean, anybody at home can make their own alcohol. And many people at the time did. But this new process could be patented, and that represented millions of dollars to the oil industry. One of the most bizarre bits of the story was that, in 1923, Thomas Migley wrote a letter to his boss, Charles Kettering, explaining how they will make millions of dollars with this new leaded gasoline. When Migley wrote this letter, he was on vacation in Florida, recovering from lead poisoning that he had suffered during his experiments. A year earlier, in late 1922, William Manfield Clark, a lab director in the U.S. Public Health Service, had written A.M. Stimson, Assistant Surgeon General, warning about the new fuel. He said it constituted a serious menace to public health, and that already several very serious cases of lead poisoning have resulted in pilot production. It was estimated that for each gallon of gas burned, four grams of lead oxide would be admitted into the air. But while the oil companies were drooling over the profits that were to come, they knew they had a problem. It was the word lead. This word might scare the public. So they came up with a new name for their fuel, ethyl, a friendly lady's name. I mean, who wouldn't love ethyl? So it was at a gas station on the corner of 6th and Main Street in Dayton, Ohio, in February 1923, that leaded gas, or ethyl, began to be pumped. It didn't take long for problems with lead to appear. At an experimental refinery operated by Standard Oil of New Jersey in Bayway, New Jersey, they began to have issues. The workers called the gas loony gas because of the effect it had on them. At one DuPont plant, a worker drew a butterfly on the wall because when you worked there, you began to see imaginary butterflies. The New York Times reported on October 27, 1924, that a Mr. McSweeney came home from work early from the lead factory plant. The article said, Early the next morning, his sister-in-law notified the police that he was acting irrationally. A patrolman was sent to the house to question McSweeney and had enlisted the aid of three other men in subduing him and taking him to the Alexia Hospital, where he was straight-jacketed. It was also reported on the same day that a Mr. Dymock, who came home from work early because he wasn't feeling well, got up in the middle of the night and walked out of a second-story window. He was found the next morning laying in the dirt. 
In fact, after the first month of operation at these tetraethyl-lead plants, there were reportedly five violent deaths and dozens of employees who were extremely sick, experiencing tumors, hallucinations, and other neurological symptoms of organic lead poisoning. One of the most disturbing stories was an Ernest Olgert who complained of delirium at work and was gripped by tremors and horrifying hallucinations. They're coming at me at once, he shrieked, but there was no one there. The next day he was dead. Doctors examined his body and observed strange beads of gas foaming from his tissue. The bubbles continued to escape for hours after his death. As you might imagine, McGinley felt guilt over what was happening to the men of his employee and sank into a deep depression. He thought it might be wise to stop production of leaded gas, but Kettering talked him out of it. Instead, it was decided to make factory conditions safer for the workers. And that's all well and fine, but what about everybody else? The lead in this gas spewed out of exhaust of every car for almost the next 60 years. And the thing about lead, it doesn't go away. It gets into the air, then into the soil, and then is absorbed by crops. The lead from the exhaust of cars is still in our soil today. But at the time, the public kept being told just how wonderful Ethel was. In an advertisement in National Geographic magazine in September of 1927, said, As an Ethel user, you have the benefits of greatly increased speed, more power on the hills and heavy roads, quicker acceleration and complete elimination of knock. But the real high-compression automobile is here at last. Ethel gasoline has made it possible. Ride with Ethel in a highly compression motor and get the thrill of a lifetime. In 1925, the U.S. Public Health Service conducted a conference about the dangers of leaded gasoline. It was expected to last for several days, but surprisingly only lasted one day, with Ketterling and Migley stating that no alternative for anti-knocking were available. We know today that was not true. A public health service created a committee that reviewed a government-sponsored study of workers and an ethyl lab test and concluded that while leaded gasoline should not be banned, it should continue to be investigated. The low concentrations presented in gasoline and exhaust were not perceived as immediately dangerous. A U.S. Surgeon General Committee issued a report in 1926 that concluded that there was no real evidence that the sale of tetraethyl lead was dangerous to human health but urged further studies. And from what I've read, most of these studies and research in the following years were conducted by the oil industry. In 1943, Randolph Beyer, M.D., and Elizabeth Lord, Ph.D., began the first research on lead poisoning in children. They followed 20 children who had suffered lead poisoning who had been released from a hospital as cured. Of the 20 they observed, only one seemed to be developing normally. Five children were borderline mentally retarded with IQ scores below 85. Some children's IQ scores declined over time, and some have been expelled from school for serious misbehavior, and a couple of others showed marks of restlessness and inattention. Breyer and Lords concluded that the lead poisoning had disrupted the normal process of development. After Time magazine published their findings, public concern intensified, but of course, nothing was done. 
So for decades, lead was slowly poisoning America. Occasionally, scientists would warn of the dangers and go before Congress, but the powers of the multi-billion dollar oil industry was too much. America needed a hero, and they got a hero. The oil industry wasn't prepared for American geochemist Claire Cameron Patterson. Patterson had worked on the atomic bomb, but by 1948, he was attempting to determine the age of the Earth when he made an interesting discovery that would begin a battle with some of the most powerful people in the world, the leaders of the oil industry. While working with American nuclear chemist and geochemist Harrison Brown, they crushed granite to measure the amount of uranium and lead it contained. Brown handled the uranium and Patterson the lead. Pedersen soon knew something wasn't right. We knew what the amount of lead should be, because we know the age of the rock from which it came, Patterson said. The levels of lead were monstrously high. Both men did everything they could to prevent contamination of their samples, but whenever they tested them, the results were always the same. There was lead there that didn't belong there, Pedersen recalled. More than there was supposed to be, but where did it come from? But that answer had to wait. He was still on the quest to find the age of the Earth. But that was nearly impossible because of all the lead contamination. I found out that there was lead coming from here. There was lead coming from there. There was lead in everything that I was using, he later said. It was contamination of every conceivable source that people had never thought about before. So before he could find the true age of the Earth, he had to become a clean freak. He had to create a lab that was free of lead contamination. By 1953, he was finally done. He had solved the age of the Earth. He concluded that it was 4.5 billion years old. Now it was time to focus on the lead. This was a strange situation since his work was being funded by the oil industry. He had convinced them that drilling in ancient sand could benefit them. He started by comparing old water to new water. By digging down to the sea floor, the water in the top sediment would be relatively new. But if he went 40 feet deeper, the water was older. In geology circles, it's called the law of superposition. The deeper the strata, the older. He found something shocking. The newer water had 20 times more lead than the old water. When Pedersen stumbled on the data about leaded gasoline, he realized that the numbers were related. It could be easily accounted for by the amount of lead that was put into gasoline and burned and put into the atmosphere, he later explained. When he published his data, the oil industry wasn't pleased. They offered him big money for research if he would forget about lead and do something else. The industry attempted to paint Pedersen as a nut job which wasn't really all that hard. He was known to be very eccentric. He was known to walk around the quad wearing two different colored socks and a gas mask. He liked long-distance running, which was thought of as strange back then. He wore t-shirts, khakis, and desert boots. He wasn't like any other scientist of the time. After much research, his conclusions were dismal. The human body probably contained a hundred times more lead than natural. Man himself is severely contaminated, Patterson said. Many people attacked Patterson's research. 
1965, toxicologists criticized Patterson's paper, pointing out that it was out of his field of expertise and that he should leave it up to the experts. Herbert Stockinger, a toxicologist in Cincinnati, complained, Let's hope this article will prove to be the first and last on science fiction. Patterson continued anyway. He took a team out to the Arctic and dug into the ice that was 2,800 years old. The following year, he traveled to the Antarctic and did the same. The sample showed a 200 or 300 fold increase in lead from the 1700s to the present day. The most startling jump had occurred in the last three decades. As his research went on, it became clear that the lead increase in the environment was directly related to the amount of cars being driven. And by 1963, nearly 83 million Americans owned a car. It was a long battle for Claire Patterson, but he never gave up. Finally, in 1970, President Richard Nixon signed the Clean Air Act of 1970. Along with lead, the EPA was required to lower emissions of hydrocarbons, carbon monoxide, and nitrogen oxide by 90% in only a few years. And then the following year, Nixon signed the Lead-Based Paint Poisoning Prevention Act, which restricted the lead contained in paint used in houses built with federal dollars and provided funds for states to reduce the amount of lead in paint. By 1976, lead paint would be totally banned. In 1984, the U.S. Senate considered banning the use of leaded gasoline, and then finally in 1990, lead was banned from gasoline altogether. The measure would take effect in 1995, giving gasoline companies five more years to completely phase out lead. For Claire Patterson, he didn't live to finally see lead removed from gasoline. He died on December 5, 1995, due to a severe asthma attack. He was born just after lead was added to gas and died just before it was legally removed. The year before he died, he was given the $150,000 Tyler Prize for Environmental Achievement, which is perhaps the leading international environmental award for exposing the worldwide health dangers of the uncontrolled use of lead. Since the banning of lead gasoline, there have been many studies to show a a direct connection between the lead in the environment to violent crimes as well as low IQ scores. I guess no one really knows what the long-term effects will be, but it is important to remember that lead does not go away. Lead from 60 years of ethyls is still in our soil in our water. Professor Kim Detrich of the University of Cincinnati College of Medicine said, Lead plays no useful role in the body. Even at low levels, it is associated with lower IQs, decreased memory, behavioral problems, and an increased risk of juvenile delinquency and criminality. In a different interview, he said, We have monitored the specific sub-segment of children who were exposed to lead both in the womb and as young children for 30 years. We have a complete record of the neurological, behavioral, and developmental patterns to draw a clear association between early life exposure to lead and adult criminal activity. Lead is one of the best known poisons in history. It was a well-known occupational poison in the industries of France and England and Germany in the Industrial Revolution. 
And in the United States, it was a well-known industrial poison. So when Standard Oil and General Motors wanted to use it in gasoline, public health officials were very, very concerned. They couldn't imagine why anybody would want to do a thing like this. Has anybody got a match? Thanks. Now I can light an old gold and listen to the sad sack. My story today was a true story, but it was only a small fraction of the actual story. If I wanted to tell the complete story of leaded gasoline, well, the show would probably be 10 hours long or longer. Most Coffee with Jeff episodes are like a Cliff Notes version of the actual story. But this episode, I would say, is more like a Cliff Notes version of a Cliff Notes version of the actual story. It's that condensed. There are so many people that were involved and places and that I just couldn't fit in to one episode. I had toyed with the idea of making it a two or three parter, but I found it so depressing that this could actually happen that I wanted to keep it to one episode. Um, I did find two or three really good detailed sources about the whole leaded gasoline story. One of them was from Mental Floss. They had a really nice write-up, and I got some information from them. I'll have links to all of them in the show notes. There's plenty of good reading there if you are interested in the actual details of what went on. Some of these written by people who do actual research. They just don't use what they can find on the internet like, well, I do. Well, the show ran a little long today, so let's get into the ending credits. You know, we at PsyCon have a Patreon page, and we all hope that you will become a patron and donate a few shekels to our cause every month. If you go to PsyCon.fm, that's C-S-I-C-O-N.fm, you'll find a link to our Patreon page at the top. And a sincere thank you to all of you who already support the show. Speaking of PsyCon, why not go over to our website and check out a few of our other shows? Hey, guess what? The History Files is back. The History Files had a new show all about pirates this week. I really enjoyed that one. Thank you, Nancy and Gordon. You can find this and other wonderful shows over at PsyCon.fm. You know, you can email me at coffeewithjeff at gmail.com for any reason. You can complain, just say hi, whatever. You can also follow me on Twitter. My name on Twitter is Coffee with Jeff, all one word. And I have a Coffee with Jeff Facebook page. Story ideas are always welcome and usually needed. If you want to support the show but you don't have the coin, and I understand that, then just go over to iTunes, leave some stars or a review or something. Those really help increase awareness of the show. Remember, all the links to the sources I used to write today's story can be found at Psycon's Coffee with Jeff page. I'd like to thank Brecky Tomlinson for having this podcast on the Psycon Network. To my wife of 33 years for being my wife of 33 years. David Metzger for designing the Coffee with Jeff logo. Kelly Rickard for writing and performing the Coffee with Jeff theme. And to all of you who listen to the show every week, thank you so much. And of course, a special shout out to all those that repost the show on Facebook and Twitter. You have a special place in my heart. 
Thanks to everybody. I'll be back in two weeks. Bye. Coffee with Jeff. Coffee. Coffee with Jeff. Coffee with Jeff. Coffee. Coffee with Jeff. I once knew a man who used to drink his coffee black. He once tried it with some cream. Didn't like it, now he never looks back. Coffee with Jeff. Coffee. Coffee with Jeff Coffee with Jeff Coffee Coffee with Jeff Met a girl from Beantown Jeff was always hanging around She drank tea, but that was okay She was the dawn of Jeff's new day Coffee with Jeff Coffee Coffee with Jeff Coffee with Jeff Coffee or coffee with Jeff Years go by and life's filled with change Sometimes your plans get rearranged He's seen it all and he's weathered it too So Jeff wants to have some coffee with you Coffee with Jeff Coffee Coffee with Jeff Coffee with Jeff